Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. We're back. One, two, three, four, We're back. five, six, seven, and eight, nine, ten. I've worn the nice things, nice things, Winchita, to show that I am here for it. We're ready. I know. We're over our colds, just about. I know. And I am here for the Rude I'm Man really story. I'm really excited. I can feel it in my heart how excited I am to be here. <laughs> Are you? Can you tell the it's Rude been Man a while. story? She's ignoring me. That's the I will. Seven. I will. Okay. Right. So, can we? Do we need to say what's happened? Because we've been absent. We've been a bit absent. <gasps> Yes, okay. Okay. So I was away for four weeks and then four weeks turned into five weeks because I ended up going to the Vatican and that kind of threw a spanner in the works. And then we were trying to get an episode up while I was at the Vatican and I was like lugging around equipment in 42 degree heat with sweat dripping down my back and it was just not working and the phones weren't working. You were wearing shorts. I was wearing very disrespectful shorts at the I was, Vatican. I, thank slightly you, because I saw the picture and thought, that's, yep. is that appropriate? So I'll just start by saying it was so hot and there, was not, there wasn't even a shh, not even a shh of wind, like not even a little whisper of wind. It was just heat. And I'd started off, I was there for the story about George Pell, who mm-hmm. was appealing uh, his conviction, and I started off in very respectful, lightweight pants, lightweight pants and a linen shirt and I was very respectful and the issue is that when you're outside the Vatican people think you're there for good news so people were gathering gathering around oh you're here to do a story about the Pope and then oh, there I am whoops. George Pell convicted of sex crimes against children and everyone was like oh and kind of running away and then we were there non-stop and it was so hot and I thought I can't do this in anymore. the actual sun yeah oh, and I dear. thought I'm already rubbishing like I'm, I'm saying this terrible stuff yes. that people don't want to hear and I just might as well do it in shorts and be comfortable. So I went back to <laughs> the hotel. Completely. Yeah, I went back to the hotel and I put like, they're not short shorts. You know what they were? They were sinful shorts. They were at thigh. The it was a bit of thigh action, but I just couldn't. I couldn't be respectful anymore. I was so hot. It was just, and no one sees you on the camera. No one sees your shorts. They just see your shirt up. Yeah. No, the, the top shorts half were a little good. behind the scenes. But I just, it had to happen. I couldn't breathe anymore. There's a party on downstairs, people. <laughs> Upstairs, was. she's at the office. Downstairs, party. Correct. And then I came back and then I got terribly sick for a week. Yes. Disgustingly sick. And I'm convinced it's because a small boy sneezed in my face in Dubai. <laughs> so I was so tired when I got on the plane. I was exhausted. We'd done like three days of work on two hours sleep. I've spoken about how TV is not glamorous. And I got on the plane and I was dead got to Dubai and there was a small boy at the gate crying, right? There's like 200 fuckers at this Dubai (laughs) gate. No one's checking on the kids. So I was like, I'll go check. Don't worry, people. The person who has not given birth and has no parental inkling will go and help the child. So I go over to the kid and I was like, are you lost? Where's your mum? He just looked at me, point blank, <laughs> sneezed in my face. Little fucker. Right? Just did you And then his mum came out of nowhere and just snatched his arm away like I was the Western woman from hell who was trying to corrupt her child. And that was it. And then I got on the plane and I incubated. I harvested his Did you kind of sickness. know at the time? Because sometimes you, I remember being in a shop and hearing a woman sneeze and thinking, oh, no. I've got it. That's it. 
I've got it. Yep. I just, I didn't have time not to breathe in when he sneezed. Like, you know how you someone, you walk past someone, they yes. sneeze, you hold your breath. Yes. You're like, <gasps> I do that when you go past smokers outside shopping yeah, centres. Yeah, correct. Hold your breath. And then I just didn't have time. And then I think I just, yeah, I incubated it for the next 13 hours on a flight and then yeah. I was done for a week. Right. I was out when I well, got so, home. And th- thank you to everyone on our Facebook page who put lovely messages. So I put a little message up saying, because I didn't want to specifically say, Chanel sick, because it was like She's going, disgustingly weepy-eyed sneezing. <laughs> I had to laugh when you sent us a picture of yourself going, look, guys, I'm sick. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, she's beautiful even when she's oh sick. Oh, my God, I was I, so ill. No, you still looked. I'm like, what What am I supposed to be looking at here? I it's felt so bad perfect. for Nico because I came home like five weeks. He hasn't seen me. He was upset that I stayed the extra week. He was like, oh, where's the other okay. woman that does it? Where's the other woman? Can't she go Can't home I thought now. of him straight away. I thought, yeah, I'm sure he'd be stressed. He was, he was stressed. But I was like, I was doing the supermarket shopping online, so it was still getting like sent home so oh, you were it, all bases from... were covered and then yeah and then I got home and I was like hi I'm home and I was just this like disgusting blob so he couldn't even kiss you nah he oh. didn't even want to sleep in the same bed with me because yeah. I was like sweaty sick he was like great can't wait that's horrible <laughs> yeah well, when gross. I put the message up it was you that was sick this is on the Facebook thing and then I came into work on the Tuesday yeah and I could feel my throat was sore. That's, got home, bang, gone. So then it was me, and I'm still, as you can probably hear, I'm still got a tiny, tiny. Good. And then I had the batch. Will I share the? I don't want to. I don't want to. It's look. Uh, other people's pets, I'm sure, are not interesting to other people. But no, they my, are. My darling, a, a, pe- a few people are familiar with my beautiful Harvey Barker, who's a golden retriever. He's 14 and a half. He'll be 15 on Cup Day if we make it. Yeah. And we just had some bad news during the week that you know we need to start thinking about how much longer he lives for. I can't even talk about this. That's okay. Don't talk on about a it anymore. Podcast. I can't even talk about it. But um, he seems to be okay at the moment and yeah. you'll be pleased to know I've got onto a lovely lady who's a vet who's going to come and see him at home and she said, he sounds like he's not uh, too yeah. bad at the moment. Yeah, see where we're at. Yeah. So yeah. I think it was that and the cold. I went down like a sack of wet sponge. So we've been all over the place, but we're back. Do right. you want the wanking man story? Please, please. Oh, you're just okay. saying wanking. I, you, rude man was the euphemism. Yeah. But yes, please. So uh, I was in London. There was lots of well, times. How excited are we? Where are we I was just kind of like, kind of, it's full on. Yes, go on. So where, you know, I kind of had this routine where I go out in the morning, go for a stroll, get a coffee, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so I'm walking back to my apartment and I must say like I wasn't in a shit part of London it's quite a hip young fresh kind of area lots of I don't know upstart tech companies around with Mm -hmm. cool lounges in their offices and stuff that kind of vibe yeah I hear screaming a man screaming and when I say a man screaming it wasn't like do I do the scream? It wasn't like, yeah. ah, it was like, ah, like it was a, like it was in pain. It was like or a angry real or... grunting screaming. Right. And I was like, where's that coming from? That's weird. And then I looked <laughs> over at a bus stop and there was a man there with his pants at his ankles, <sighs> double hand on the throttle. Two hands. Yeah. Two hands furiously wanking. Oh my goodness. And he was, looked me dead in the eye. And, that's, and, that, and I was like, oh, it's happened again. It's happened again. And then I looked forward and there was a, um, 
there was a, a young woman with two oh. small kids oh, no. walking towards me and my heart was dying. And then I quickly walked towards her and being a journo, I should be able to improv really quickly, yes. but I couldn't think of how to say wanking without saying wanking. In front of the kids. Yes. Because yes, yep. yep. I can't say there's a man wanking there because they yes. go, what's wanking? So I, I like <laughs> ran up to her and I was like... There's a man doing really rude things down there. Don't go that way. Don't go that way. And I like. Is that the ushered. expression you used? Really rude things. Yeah, I said really rude things. <laughs> I said there's a man doing really rude things down yes. there. Does she know she got you? She she was like, I'm not sure if she spoke English, but she was like, oh, oh, and I was like, <laughs> had my arms out, like stopping her going that way, and I was pushing her back down the bloody thing, and then, um. And then the person, I was right near my apartment, the person, from, and he's still, oh, by the way, like he's still making that noise and looking at man? everyone. Old man, young man? Do you want me to describe him? Well, okay, of, so yeah. this is what I told the police because then the police came. <gasps> oh, yeah. What? So then the person from the apartment was said to me, oh, what's happened? And I said, there's a man tossing down there. <laughs> and I said, can you hear that screaming? She goes, yeah. I said, that's the man tossing at the bus stop with his pants at his ankles. And she was like, oh. And so she ran inside and called the police. And then the, by this stage, the family have just, they've gone the other way. Yeah. So they're like, we're out of here. We don't know what this panicked Australian's doing. There's, she's screaming, the man's screaming, everyone's screaming. And then the police came. And for people who have been to London, this is how I described the man, right? I said, they go, what did he look like? I said, I don't know. He was like in his 40s. Um, he was he was black um, and he had a bald head. And they were like, okay, that gives us nothing. Oh, really? Is like, there a lot of those? At that well, point? it's quite multicultural in London. So right, okay. I'd pretty much described a lot of people yeah. because then he ran away. And he, when he ran away, he ran away with running his with his pants down? down for a no, little bit and then he was pulling no, them up. No. Yeah. But now this is the second wanking man I've caught while being overseas. First there was the one in Hawaii. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now this one. <laughs> That's the noise he was making. And, like, he was viciously, I would say viciously trying to make eye contact with women while he was doing it. Oh, and it was broad no. daylight, by the way. It was broad Mate, daylight. no. Don't. Yeah. Don't do it. Yeah. You poor thing. That's two in a and row. And then like when you're traveling alone, so it's like, cool, that happens. Then you go back to your apartment and you just sit there like, that happened. How did, how did Nico feel when you told him? Because Well, I told him with the same enthusiasm that I've just told okay. you. And he just laughs. He's like... Why I laughed. He, yeah, he's like, why does this shit happen to you? I'm like, I don't know. Oh, I would have thought he'd be like, he may And he's kind like of... half asleep, right? So he's like, hey, babe. And I'm like, hey, you're never going to believe what just happened. Oh, my God. So I went and I got a coffee, came down, and then family, rude man, police, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, okay, all right. Why does this happen to you? I'm like, I don't know. What are you doing? He's like, I've just woken up. Okay, okay. I'll speak to you later. Bye. It's and then like I'm alone he's again. used to you, isn't it? It's he like is. he knows that you attract this kind of weirdness. Yeah. Well, he knows when I come into a conversation like, oh, my God. He's like, oh, what's happened? You know they, pardon the expression, but they come in threes. So What? There's going to be another one, isn't there? <laughs> well, yes. Well, I could do the trifecta. We've <laughs> done Hawaii. They come in threes. Thank you. <laughs> I got it. Bit late. Are you ready for a dead body story? Oh, got one I'm so for ready. You. 
We're in Australia. I've been ready for weeks. South Australia. Australia. Uh, Truro is a town in South Australia. It's about 70 k's northeast of Adelaide. Truro. Okay. It's awkward to say. I haven't heard of it. On the 25th of April, 1978, Bill and Valda Thomas. I've never met anyone called Valda in my life. I like that name. Do you? Valda. Now that I'm saying it out loud, when you drive down Burke Road in sort of Q area. Sure. Um, there's a real estate office and their slogan on it is, Ask Valda, She Knows. Oh. Because so well, I like the, um, I like Val. That's short for Valerie, isn't it? Is it? Mm. Can it be short for Valda? Possibly. Hmm. Bill and Valda Thomas, they were picking mushrooms in, in the bushland beside Swamp Road. And Normal they... mushrooms or drug mushrooms? Oh, look, come on. They're well, decent. Okay, With names they're decent. like Bill and Valda. Okay, sorry. Yeah, true. Well, uh, they could have been hippies. Do they sound like well, hippies? I don't know. You never know where these stories do. go with us. Bill and okay, Valda are on the mushrooms. Chalf. They're off their nuts. On Nico's dad used to pick mushrooms and literally eat them. How dangerous. You get that a death dangerous. cap, you're dead. Yeah. We used to pick them over the oval and, and take hey. them home to mum. Oh. You never knew. It was like a lottery with your Lucky life. Lucky dear. <laughs> Uh, mushrooms are so not the actual focus okay, of the story. Sorry. It's almost irrelevant. I need to bother mentioning them. Sorry. They found what they thought was a bone from a leg of a cow. Mm. So they left it there and they just kept on going because sure. they were intent on those mushrooms. A couple of days later, Valda was still like, some, just in that inkling, something's it. not right, something's right. not right. So she talked Bill into going back to having another look. And when they got there, they found that the bone had a shoe attached to it, which I oh, think they probably hadn't that's noticed. That's a bit of a giveaway. <laughs> Unless cows wear shoes in Truro, I don't know. Shouldn't laugh, but yeah. And inside the shoe was human skin and painted toenails. Oh. And they looked around a bit further, clothes with bloodstains on them and some more bones were found. So these remains were identified a bit later down the track as those of Veronica Knight, who was an 18-year-old girl who'd gone missing from a street in Adelaide around Christmas time in 1976. So that's a couple of years before Bill and Valda got high and went mushrooming. I hope they don't listen to this podcast and sue us for implying that they're druggies. Um, There was no obvious cause of death. It was thought that Veronica might have just gotten lost and maybe died of thirst. Okay. And her death wasn't considered suspicious. It's about a year later, 15th of April 1979, about one kilometre away from where Veronica's remains were found, police found the skeletal remains of 16-year-old Sylvia Pittman, who had disappeared at around the same time that Veronica had gone missing. In fact, those two girls were two of seven young women who'd all gone missing from Adelaide over a two-month period over 1976-1977. So a huge search party was uh, sent out. They found the skeletons of two of the five, uh, five remaining missing girls in a paddock on the opposite side of Swamp Road in Truro. So all in the same yeah, general right. area. Um, those two two more bodies they found were Connie... I hope I say this correctly, Yordanides uh, and Vicky Howell. Now, before all these girls had gone missing in 1974, two men had met in jail and started a sexual relationship. 
the dominant one in the two of them was a 23-year-old by the name of Christopher Worrell, who was described as young, charismatic and sociopathic. He was in jail for rape and armed robbery, and the judge that had sentenced him called him a depraved and disgusting human being. Depraved is mm. such a word, isn't it? I hear that word a lot in court, depraved. It's just, I guess, when someone... It's like the deepest, the, darkest w- yeah. of evil. It is very descriptive, isn't it? Mm. Uh, so the other man was a 40-year-old by the name of James Miller. He was doing time for robbing a gun shop. He was the more submissive of the two of them, and he was infatuated with Christopher Worrell. Mm. Unusual Worrell, for that time. Yeah, but not unusual to for be, the older guy, I think. Oh, yeah, I To be openly... So. In, in jail, though. I think yeah, the rules are different in jail. I wonder if that was happening, like if people were openly in male-male relationships in jail at that time. I think probably human beings just need other human beings. Yeah, true. In in that in any situation. Yeah. Um, so in the jail, uh, yeah, Miller was infatuated with Worrell. Worrell actually preferred women. Um, so when they were released from jail, they become more like brothers. Right. Uh, Miller was still so in love with the younger guy, he just would do whatever he said. Sure. Um, Worrell then went on a killing spree and Miller oh. sort of went along with him as his accomplice. So their first victim was Veronica Knight. She had been shopping with a friend. They became separated and she accepted a ride home from Worrell and Miller in Miller's blue and white Chrysler Valiant. Um, instead of taking her home, though, they took her to the Adelaide foothills where mm. Worrell stayed with her while Miller went for a walk. So it sounds like Worrell, the younger one, would... would be with the girl and he would send Miller away to do whatever. You go and occupy your time while I do what I do. Um, So Miller says when he came back, he found Veronica tied up, dead. She'd been strangled in the back of the car. And Miller, the older one, said that he he confronted Worrell about it, but Worrell pulled a knife on him and threatened him. So they dumped the body together. Uh, The second victim, Tanya Kenny, was just 15 years old. On the 2nd of January 1977, she'd just arrived in the city. She'd hitchhiked in from Victor Harbour and they drove her to Miller's sister's home. Miller sat in the car while Worrell and Tanya went inside and Worrell killed Tanya. He threatened to kill Miller if he didn't help bury her body as well. Next victim, another 16-year-old, Julia Makita. On the 21st of January 1977, she was waiting at a bus stop. She'd just finished work in the city and Worrell offered to give her a lift home, but instead they drove her to Port Port Wakefield. This time Miller sat in the car. Worrell tied her up. Miller claims he then went to take a walk, but he heard a disturbance behind him, so he turned around and Makita was on the ground and Worrell was strangling her. Miller reckons he wasn't strong enough to pull Worrell off of her. So, And he also says that Worrell again threatened to kill him, so Makita was killed. Her remains were also one of those bodies found at Truro. Uh, Sylvia Pittman was 16. On the 6th of February 1977, she was waiting for a train at the Adelaide Railway Station and she accepted a lift from Worrell and Miller and they drove to the Wingfield area where Miller went for a walk, Worrell killed her and they dumped her body at Truro. Uh, Vicky Howell was a little older. She was 26, 7th of February 1977. Worrell killed her and Miller helped to take her body to Truro. Um, at this point I'm thinking, you know, I know Willa, Miller was obviously had a crush on Worrell, but it's, surely try and stop him. Like he's going I just, along. 
And it reminds me of a, um, there was a sentence that I was recently in for Eurydice Dixon, who mm. was, it's quite a well-known murder in Melbourne. She was walking home. She uh, wasn't far from her home at all. And this uh, teenager, he was 19 at the time, had been stalking her for an hour mm. and, you know, smashed her to the ground, raped her and then strangled her. And I just think that her last moments were described by the judges. They would have been utterly horrifying and Mm. it was obvious that she tried to fight back. And I think about all those women and young girls and how terrifying it would have been and even more terrifying knowing that there was someone there that could have helped them and didn't. And he's tried to paint himself as, oh, I was scared he was going to get me, he was going to stab me if I didn't go along with it. But it's you're a grown man. It's one thing to be, you know, I haven't Fight. been murdered, so I can't say, but I think it's one thing to be alone with an attacker. But going, why isn't that person yes. helping me? Yeah, you're right. It is so terrifying. It's awful. It makes yeah. me so sad. Yeah. Um, Connie Yordanides was 16. 9th of February 1977, Worrell and Miller picked her up in the middle of Adelaide. See, again, why would he even get in the car with him knowing that they were going scouting for these girls? Uh, Offered her a lift home. She became frightened when they drove in the wrong direction. Mm. So they stopped at Wingfield and they forced her into the back seat. Mm. She was killed and her body was driven to Truro. Deborah Lamb was 20. On the 12th of February 1977, she was hitchhiking on West Terrace when they picked her up and they drove her to Port Gawler. Miller went for his walk. When he came back to the car, Deborah was missing and Worrell was pushing sand into a hole with his foot. Police believe Deborah was buried alive. Uh, On the 19th of February 1977, Worrell and Miller were in the car with a friend named Deborah Scoose and they'd been to Mount Gambia for the weekend and Worrell was driving the Valiant back to Adelaide. The car blew a tyre and it rolled several times. All three of them were thrown onto the road. Worrell, Christopher Worrell and uh, Deborah Scoose both died. Miller broke his shoulder blade but he um, survived. So there was a funeral held for Christopher Worrell and Miller apparently made this incredible scene at the funeral. He jumped into the grave. He was hysterical. He was hugging the coffin. Wow. He left a photo in there that said, Chris, please try and understand. I love you as a mate and always will. Hoping to see you soon. Please forgive me, Jamie. So Weird also, that yeah, he is capable of such empathy. Obsessed and... with him though. Yeah. Obsessed with the younger guy. Um also at this particular funeral was Worrell's former girlfriend, Amelia, and she told Miller that Worrell had a suspected blood clot on the brain. And Miller told her that Worrell had been fascinated with thrill killing and he thought that the clot might have been responsible for the moods that oh. were making him kill, which I've, I'm not a doctor. Is but that a thing? Yeah, and neither are you, mate, so I'm yeah. not accepting that. Uh, it was two years later. May 1979, after reading about the murders in the newspaper, this particular girlfriend, uh, Amelia, she told police what Miller had told her and he was arrested. Right. She picked up a $30,000 reward for dobbing him in. Um, Good for her. She said that she hadn't come forward earlier because she had no proof that the what he told her was true. Because Doesn't matter. Effect, come forward. Yeah, exactly. I'm she glad that she did. But just reiterating time. our message always... That it's never too late. It's never too small. It's never. It's never nothing. Always bother a detective about it, but even if you think it's nothing. She also thought that there was no point in coming forward because Christopher Worrell was dead. It was mm. at the funeral that she told but Miller you can still about give it. Family closure. Mm. 
Yeah. Well, it's it's still also highly likely the murders would have gone unsolved if she hadn't yeah. come forward at all. So um, Miller, when he was arrested, he initially denied knowing anything, but then he eventually told the detectives there were three more bodies and he was driven to Truro, Port Gawler and the Wingfield uh, rubbish dump where he showed them where the bodies were. So he stood trial for the murders. He was found oh. guilty of six of the seven murders. Right. Um, the only exception was the first one. I'm not sure why, Veronica Knight. He was convicted despite never having touched any of the victims other than yeah. helping to bury them. I've done a case like that. It's unusual, isn't it? Yeah. But it's like we just discussed. He I could should have do that them. story on the podcast, but there was a woman who didn't kill the man but got someone else to do it, and she got a – I think she got more than the man that actually did it. Really? Yeah. Ah. Here in Melbourne. Uh, so Miller was sentenced to the maximum six consecutive life terms. He said they can give me life for knowing about the murders and not reporting them because there's another thing. Why didn't he report them? Uh, but they charged me with murder. It's a load of bullshit. Very eloquent. Not a doctor, not a wordsmith either. Um, his defence argued that he never engaged in any murders directly, nor did he explicitly agree prior to picking the women up that he would support Worrell in the murders. I disagree on that. I think he knew what was going to happen. Um, mm. He was found guilty of murder because he was part of a joint criminal enterprise and he was present right. at the crime scenes and he helped dispose of the body. So yep. uh, after the trial... One of the jurors hired a lawyer to petition the Attorney General for a retrial on the grounds that the judge at his trial had instructed the jury to find Miller guilty of murder and the retrial was refused. Would a jury, would a, a judge do that? Order a retrial? Or, or, no, order the jury to find somebody guilty of murder. No. not no, in, it doesn't sound right. Doesn't, oh, it's, I've never seen that before. Yeah. No, it doesn't sound right. And they refused anyway, so it yeah. obviously wasn't correct. Uh, 1999, Miller applied to have a non-parole period set under new laws, mm -hmm. and it was set at 35 years. So he was eligible for parole in 2014, but he didn't make it that far. On the 21st of October 2008, at the age of 68, Miller who was um, suffering from prostate cancer and lung cancer, and he contracted hepatitis C and eventually died of liver failure. See ya. See, I wouldn't want to be. Uh, I'm okay with helping murders. to move a dead body if you're you're looking at me like what? Yeah, because I'm sus. Like if you were caught in a situation where someone's threatening your life, unless you help them move a dead body, mm. I'm moving it, and then straight after I'm going to the cops. Yes, and I would say yes. I had to do this. Yeah, I'm just, but like, yeah, but he was obviously in love, and Christopher Worrell was quite. Good looking, yeah, so I think he okay. was infatuated with him, and he just wanted to do anything to please mm. him. Yeah, so I've far. had a few people come through court who are helping moving bodies. Yeah, don't do it. You should do stories on Go, them. Mm, you should. Yeah, please. so Is many it, stories to do. I know. There's oh. actually a really. I've written down two stories just then in my phone. Good for stories that I need to do. Okay, but this is a story about Benjamin Field. Don't know it. Nah, you won't. Excited. He was a charming, caring and religious young man who gave sermons in his father's Baptist church. Oh, lovely. Sounds all good. Side parting, hair combed down, yeah. white shirt, buttoned up to the top. But he had a sinister project. Oh. To befriend vulnerable individuals and get them to change their wills. Oh. Right? Why do churchy people do that? Not I don't all of know. you. I know you don't all, but a lot do. So his first target was a man called Peter Farquhar. Peter Farquhar was 69. He was a guest lecturer at the University of Buckingham. 
where he'd studied English literature. So Mm -hmm. quite an intelligent man. He was sprightly and he had a wide circle of friends. He was well-traveled, but he wasn't in a relationship and he was lonely. Mm -hmm. That's always the thing, isn't it? It's always the lonely part. Yeah. Really get trapped by a murderer if you're lonely. Anyway, so when this <laughs> you can, you're vulnerable to outside forces. I feel like yes. lonely loneliness can get you like into one of those romance scams where you give away all your money. I like it when you give us life advice on this podcast. <laughs> don't be lonely. You'll, you'll, don't be lonely. You'll don't get be trapped lonely. by a murderer. Get a pet. You'll get trapped otherwise. You'll Chanel invite Vella, people into your home. 2019. Yeah. You're welcome. (laughs) Anyway, so when this young man turns up in his life and shows him some attention, he's spending all his time with him, he starts going to church with him. There's a big age difference between them also. Oh, it's like my two. Yeah, it's quite a big, I don't think I wrote his age down, but it is a very big age gap. Peter thought he'd fallen in love. Oh. Yeah. He was very much in love, so much so that in 2014, they got married. Oh. Yeah. At that point in time, an entry in in Peter's journal read, It is one of the happiest moments of my life. Gone are the fears of dying alone. Oh. See what happens when you're lonely. Yes. Yes. Murderers will get you. Mm, But he was wrong about dying alone because Benjamin was drugging him and had convinced him that he had dementia. Oh, my goodness. I wonder how he was drugging him. So, Do you know? He was drugging him. I don't exactly know how. I know what he was doing. So the convincing him that he had dementia, what he would do was he would go into his house and move things around. Oh. And then he'd say, I don't know where I've left my, for example, I don't know where I've left my glasses. And yeah. he'd say, they're in the kitchen. Like, you're leaving them in the kitchen. Like, and he would convince. And you'd when so, when that happens, you'd start to think to yourself, yeah. oh, I am going a bit mad, aren't yeah. I? So he was secretly spiking his food and and his drinks um, with sedatives, just a cocktail of sedatives. Okay. And um, he, he'd bought drugs off the internet. Mm-hmm. That were making him hallucinate. Um, they were covertly put into his food and his toast and his tea. Um, hang on, everything. Hang on, hang on. I'm co- I'm toast. What's wrong? How do you put drugs into toast? Well, I think you could sprinkle it. Imagine. Well, my brain's gone. There's immediately a way. You make the toast. You sprinkle it on, and then put peanut butter on it. Ah, uh, yeah, peanut butter would mask it. Yeah, okay. Thought of that too quickly. Anyway. Mm. Um, <laughs> A video found uh, in Benjamin's possession showed the – so he was filming him as well to kind of prove down the track that he lost his mind. What an evil person. Showed the academic looking exhausted and struggling to form a sentence. And you have to remember this is an intelligent, very healthy man and he's just totally making him out to be bedridden. So for months, Mr. Farquhar was tormented by his unwell state. He went to several doctors and a neurologist and had various medical tests trying to work out what was wrong with him. Um, Benjamin rang triple zero on occasions and lied to health workers, telling them the retired lecturer was a frequent faller who had dementia. They're in, they're in the UK. Okay. Yeah, we're in the UK. Um, and now this is the part that made me really sad. And again, he's so intelligent. He's being drugged. Mm. 
Benjamin drugged him right before he was about to speak in public. So he had published books yeah, and he was going to give speeches on them. Mm. And Benjamin made sure he drugged him before he went and gave those speeches oh. so that when he was in front of people, he oh, would humiliate no. himself no. and wouldn't remember why he was there or what he was talking about so that he... Would, and in public, would people would go, oh, he's, he's lost, lost his mind. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. So he was hosting his own book launch and friends who turned up said that he was frail, confused and apologetic. He was a slumped man at the table, visibly struggling to sign his own books, who at one point thought he was being attacked by shards of light. Oh, dear. Yeah. Before his death, Mr. Farquhar told friends he was suffering from night terrors, hallucinations and bouts of sleepwalking. Some of his friends thought he become, had become confused and appeared to be drunk. He told friends he thought he was losing his mind and compared himself to Shakespeare's King Lear. Um, Benjamin constructed a narrative to explain Mr. Farquhar's behaviour. He told all of his friends that he was ill and that he was drinking as well oh, on top of being okay. ill. Ugh. He died in 2015. Oh, all no. his friends thought he died of alcoholism. Prosecutors believe he was strangled at a point when he was too weak to resist. Wow. Yeah. He played the long game. In killing it's, him. Yeah, it's frightening, isn't yeah. it? He was found in his by his cleaner. He was in his living room with a bottle of whiskey next to him. Oh. Yeah. Planted. But, of course, before his death, he changed his will, leaving half of pretty much everything he owned to Benjamin. And you'd think this would all end here. So Benjamin gets the money. Yeah. He gets half of everything you think he's going off into the ether. I wonder how long they'd been together at that point. Sounds like a while. Well, he died in 2015. They got married in 2014. So okay. it was just maybe about 18 months. Yeah. It doesn't end here. Mm. Down the street from Mr. Farquharson lived a woman mm -hmm. called Anne Moore Martin. She was living alone. She was 83. At this time, Benjamin is 28. Did you not think to go and visit her when you're in the UK? And I let should her have. Know, do not live alone and be I lonely. No, don't be a lonely. Murder will get you. So 28, Benjamin's 28, she's 83. After Peter's death, he weaseled his way into her life. Mm. She was religious and intelligent. She was a former school headmaster. Benjamin moved in down the street from her and he seduced her. Oh, don't. Yep. No. Mm -hmm. No. He prayed on her and would often no. write her love letters. It's and not he... for that anymore when yep. you're 83. Yep. It's just for going wee. Uh-huh. Don't. Yep. It's just for going wee. He would write her love letters and she was very, very religious. Yep. And he would write on her mirror in lipstick or something messages and say they were from God. Oh, does she believe it? Do you want to know what they said? Yes. They said, pray for Ben. Ben loves you. And she thought that God wrote that there on the mirror. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He proposed yeah. to her and he convinced her to transfer all of her savings to him, which was about £27,000. That's about 60000 Australian dollars. Mm. In February 2017, Miss Moore Martin became ill and she had a seizure. It was during her hospital stay that she confided in her niece about her relationship and the writing on the mirrors. Yeah. And the niece is going, Yes. Yes. Nah. Yes. 
bloody... She ain't having none of that. Nah, she's yep. going, this isn't right. I want that inheritance myself. So she calls the police. Miss Moore Martin reversed her will. They made her change everything back to benefit her family in 20... Uh, it was kind of at the start of 2017, and then she later died of natural causes in an aged care home. Her family said that she was broken by the fact that she'd been duped. Mm. Her her niece said she was tortured by it, by it and found it very difficult to get her head around the betrayal. Mm. Isn't that awful? Like in yeah. her final stages of life, yeah. she was so shocked that she just thought Ben was this lovely man. Mm. Now, um, at this point, police are involved and they start looking at Peter's death, Mr. Farquharson's death. 19 months later, his body was dug up and they discovered all of the chemicals in his body. Wow. Yep. Uh, Benjamin was arrested. When he was arrested, police found books about poisoning people and suicide but most horrifying is in his possession, they found a list of 100 names. And when asked what those names were, he said that they were the names of people who may be useful to him. Oh, my most God. Most of them were elderly people. Some were people that were part of his church congregation. And they were all people that he could easily access. So he had like a hit list. He went to trial. After 10 weeks, he was found guilty of Peter's murder, but not guilty of Miss Moore Martin's attempted murder. Mm. Um, when he was first arrested, he didn't realise there was audio recording in the police car and he was heard to be saying in the back seat, I think I will get away with most of it. <gasps> well, which is an admission he almost of guilt, did. Yeah, and yeah. he almost did. Wow. Yeah. What a snake. Right. And pretending to be, I'm holier than thou. And 28, that's young to be thinking about, scheming mm. about killing old people. But I'm very keen on the whole thing of writing on a mirror with lipstick. I've never done it. Right. But Pray for Ben. It, ben loves you. God wrote that. so dramatic. I Have know. you ever done it? Like it's such a movie dramatic no, thing I've to do. No, I've never written. I don't think I've ever written on a I just, I mirror. don't want to. Lose, I mean, your lipstick would be wrecked, wouldn't it? Yeah, you wouldn't use a good one. No. But if you wanted to write, I hate you or something. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'd use more swear words than I hate you, but I like that you your your worst was I hate you. I'm very cross with you <laughs> and I'm going to stab you. <laughs> Hello, Tina. Hello. Hi, Tina. Hi, how are you going? Good. Good. So Tina uh, emailed us, but we thought you'd better just speak to her because she's got a bit of feedback for us. Tina... Do you enjoy our podcast? I do. I've been catching up on episodes during car rides. Oh, oh okay. good. To Imagine if work. she said, no, no. I don't. <laughs> but you <laughs> rang me, so I Imagine thought I'd lend some a, time. Imagine it was a troll call and I just rang to say no. Yeah. Could you imagine? And you just started spruiking other podcasts. That, that would be really good. Yes, it would be. Well, we're so glad to speak to you. Yeah, and you can do live feedback. So what did you want to share with us, Tina? So I have a suggestion and then I have a question. Oh, I like it. Do you want it in any particular order? No, just however you like it. Okay, so I'm catching up on episodes, as I said, during car rides and I was listening to episode 51. Okay. And that was about that necrophilic freak. Do you remember? Yeah, when we went through the necrophilia stage. I kept going back to that, sorry. Yeah. Yes, and there were that chick was having a romp with all the deados at the memorial. Yes. Okay, so it reminded me of the Forest 
Lawn Mausoleum, which is also in California. Why does that sound familiar? Yes, and that's where Michael Jackson is. Oh, okay. Oh. Okay, so my suggestion was maybe you guys could cover a famous death Oh, we can. Of a celebrity. Yes. Like maybe Michael Jackson or... Or like a Whitney Houston or something like that. Oh, I've just watched a great documentary on her. Have you? Yep, oh. I have. We'll do her death thing. Okay. Yeah. Good. She has quite an interesting story behind that. Yeah, she okay. does. Yeah, and then my question was that when I'm catching up on episodes, I'm pondering death and all those things like everybody does that listens, and I was thinking about how people often say their loved ones don't look like themselves at a funeral. Oh, yes. You know people say that? Yeah. And then I was thinking, it's kind of crazy that when you pass away, the person that does your hair and makeup is someone that has never met you before. They might have oh. reference photos, but they haven't necessarily met you, spoken to you, know who you are, know what products you like or not like. I'm sure the family assists, but it comes down to the fact that a stranger is doing it, and I wanted to put the question out there to your listeners, has a family member ever stepped in and assisted with hair and makeup for a loved one? That's such a good point, isn't it? This is a very good point because in uh, both television networks I've ever worked for, in the makeup and hair room, they have photos of how the presenters should look when their makeup's done so that it's always right. consistent. Yeah. So yeah. that some, you know, if, some, if a freelancer comes in, they don't decide to, you know, make oh, someone look different yes, to yeah. what they normally yeah. look like. So everyone has a photo, um, yeah. presenters, of what they look like when they're made up in studio. Yeah. But you can't nail it if you don't have the products. Or- I need no. to organise this. What if I die? Oh, no. Who would you get to I do? Your, who do we get for you? Well, I'd get a, a woman called Carly who's going to do my hair and makeup for my wedding, and I think she made me look the best Perfect. I've ever looked. So she's right. locked in. So she should also be it's locked in record. for death. But not if you wouldn't get a family member? No. Nah. Why not? Well, see, for me, I have really curly, outrageous hair, and right. I would be worried that somebody couldn't tame it and style it and see? make it look... This is a valid point. Yeah. I know. Well, what about, so Chanel, but what about if someone in your family wanted you to do? I'd do my, like if something, God forbid, happened to my sister, I'd do her makeup. Do you know how she does it? Yeah, I think so. What does she hit? What products does she use? Well, she's very minimalist, my sister. Is she? Yeah. Mm. She's got good skin. She's minimalist, bit of lippy. You could go to her Mm. house though and get stuff. Yeah, true. Yes, you could. Why are you Good. laughing, TD? Do you want me to do your makeup? No, no. Oh. <laughs> hey, Chanel. Oh, no. What's going to happen? Did you go to school in the southeast? Yes. Oh, so did I. I was just wondering. The southeast where? <laughs> what is happening? What? Where did you? Something is going to happen because Kirst is filming and I don't know why. Chanel, did your dad's name start with P? Oh, my God. Who is this? Oh, it's my sister. <laughs> I'm glad you did my makeup if I was dead. You don't even know. I do not even recognise your voice. <laughs> but your eye, do you know what? Your eyes were going everywhere. Your eyes were looking around. I was around. like, because Curse could... was filming and it threw me. Because <laughs> Curse was filming and I was like. What is happening? Were you making your voice sound different? 
a little. Yeah. Not, not you, particularly, no, though. You know why? I know exactly why you sounded different. Because normally right. when you call me, you're like, eh, mum's <laughs> pissing me off and dad's annoying me. <laughs> eh, could you see? I, you laugh, I know, but you were all like, I was just wondering. Um, <laughs> like, you're putting on this... So my sister and I actually sound quite alike. Give your sister a real name. That's okay, not so Tina. It, no, it's not sister. It's Lis- Tina. Did, why did you choose Nico's mum's name? <laughs> Just to trigger you. <laughs> That's the other bit. I'm you in went, love with your you sister. My and Kirsten probably is too. Lasan. <laughs> Lasan yeah. is her real name. Lasan and Kirsten and I. We've all been texting oh behind your God. back. Oh my God. And we had to keep putting it off and putting it off because you were sick. I was sick. And, and she referred to you at one point as, oh, yeah, she's a total germ. Yeah, I was. <laughs> So yeah. sick, and I was so shitty with everyone. I didn't want anyone to come to my house. She was like, "I'll oh, come over." I was like, "Nah." Yeah. <laughs> and oh. Paula Zan, she she emailed us, and I said, "Well, you know, Sharon only checks the emails, so she won't even see nah. it." But that suggestion there, I thought, was really good. So why not get her on, and why not trick you at the same time? Um, yeah, that was really good. I had no idea because you sounded so positive, and we normally only get on the phone and bitch about our no, parents. That's, that's true. Like usually, when I talk to my sister, it's just loudspeaker, my phone's on my shoulder. I'm just like, yeah, yeah nah. it's true. Okay, we done. Let's wrap it up. Like that sounds. <laughs> I did not know that was you. And I gave her Good. such a grilling on the email to check if I if, oh if she was gen- yeah well to check if she was actually my sister. Yeah, quality control. I had to be qualified. Yeah. <laughs> Well, what questions did you ask her to make sure she was my sister? Um, because I had met her once. Oh, yes. And I asked her where, under what circumstances, what building were we in or how were we Dee Dee, you're and, so lovely for protecting me. Well, I had to make sure. I had to make sure. I can't be having anyone coming at Basha now. Oh, you're very good. <laughs> but while we're on the email thing, Shan, you oh. being in courts all the time, oh. is an email pretty much a contract, right? That would hold up in court, correct? What? If if something is exchanged in email yeah. words agreement, right? Uh, okay, maybe, so, yeah. Okay, so someone says they'll do something, that stands up, right? Why? What are you tricking me into doing? I no, don't no. email you. No, no, I know. <laughs> but that is a fact, yes? Sure, yep. Okay, Dee Dee, owe me brownies, don't forget. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> that was a little, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I promised oh, to I make her some brownies. I know, and Dee Dee with the pantry that you can make anything <laughs> out of. Yes, at and any do. time. And do. Last mm. night I made wraps. I made See? my own flatbread to wrap in. That's Who probably not that, that exciting. Dee well, Dee does do. that. Yeah. Dee Dee does that. Uh-huh. Yep. They're like four bucks down the shop to <gasps> make them wrap. Yeah, because they're, they're nicer when you make them. Thanks, Lizanne. Well, that, goodbye. <laughs> anyway, wrap off, <laughs> Tina. <laughs> Tina, it's been a okay, delight. thanks so much. Thank okay, you so much. Bye. And I think her thanks, question... Kirsten. <laughs> <laughs> her question is a valid one, and let's leave that with um, the Dead Bodies podcast audience. Who were you? Would yeah. you? Would you get? Would you do the hair and makeup of someone you knew who died? How's or? me though? My sister's very minimalist. Blah blah blah. blah. <laughs> Meanwhile, she's on the. I'm thinking. Phone. Don't say. Oh, she's got a wonky eye. She's got no, a bum eye. No, she's minimalist. She's, and... she's got great skin. She's really minimalist. <laughs> she's very beautiful. Okay, done. Have you ever done the makeup of a dead body or anything else? A dead body? If you want to talk about, have you ever seen a dead body? Deadbodiespodcast at gmail dot com. Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Chanel Vela and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.